So I told you two or three weeks ago that, that I was going to talk about struggling with God for a couple of weeks, and I kind of lied about that because this is week three or four, and I'm going to, I'm going to deal with today and probably tomorrow. I mean, next Sunday. So we're learning some great things about struggling. If you wasn't here last week, you should have been here. Cast all your cares upon him. We give you the acronym that we can claim to God. Then we talk about his attributes. Then we remind him of his promises. And then we could express our love towards him. We found out last week that God, he entertains us. And this is what we've been saying all along, that God would rather wrestle with him. He wants you to wrestle with him than walk away from him. Don't walk away from me. Ever got an argument with somebody? Don't walk away from me. Don't walk away from me. God would rather wrestle with you than you walk away. So he tells Adam, all your life you're going to struggle. All your life you're going to struggle. And I think as time goes on, the struggling gets more intense, whether it be in-laws, outlaws, relatives, all these things. But we struggle in three areas. We struggle with ourselves first. It's the constant battle of us facing our fears, flaws, imperfections, shame, guilt, regrets, and the list goes on. We struggle with other people because they disappoint us. It disrupts our trust for them. Somebody's hurt our feelings. Somebody said something. Somebody's done something. So now then, because of being disappointed in them, it, it, it disrupts our trust in them. And third, that we struggle with God. And I'm, I'm overlaying this because some of you need to be reminded, we never doubt God's love for us, but we often doubt his decisions. And so the question I asked you last week and the week before, is it even possible to struggle with God and survive? And the answer is yes, Jacob did. And this is where we're getting our lessons. Hosea chapter 12, verse 3 will tell us that Jacob was a man who struggled with God. Now, I told Brenda before church started because I don't really, this is what I need you to know. She's a counselor by trade. And when I talked about last week about complaining to God, it's not really in a negative way. It's having a conversation with God. Because here's what I told you last week. There's a huge difference between complaining to God and complaining against God. Don't do the second. Moses complained to God. He said, why did you give me these people? But Israel complained to God and the snakes got them. God invites conversation as a counselor by trade. As a counselor, there's one thing that a counselor needs to know is how to communicate with people. And that's what counselors do. They invite people to communicate. And God knows us and he knows what's in us. So that what happens is God invites us to communicate with him. And sometimes communication kind of comes out wrong, but it's still communication. God said, I understand what's in you. I'm trying to get it out, so let's talk about it. Don't you just hate it when somebody just sells up? Not that Gail and I ever got in a fight, but I'll tell you, I hated it. When we first got married, woo, I loved to fight, always fought. And when I got married, I just carried that over, and I've gotten better in the last seven minutes. But I'll tell you, all my life, and, and she didn't want to fight. She didn't want to argue. I loved to argue, loved it, wrote a book on it. Boy, when we first got married, I mean, you know, we got in a disagreement. And I'll tell you, I was ready, cocked and ready. And you know what she does? She goes, I don't want to talk about it. Oh, I used to make me so mad. 
I said, we're going to talk about it. And she goes, you're going to talk to yourself. God loves it when we communicate with him. And it's okay. When you struggle with God, when things happen in this life, when we don't understand, it's okay to complain to him. It's okay. Don't complain about him. Just complain to him. Say, God, I don't understand you. I'm being honest with you. And for the last few weeks, we've been talking about prophets of old did the very same thing, and God let them live. So this morning, this whole lesson is evolved around wrestling with God about Jacob of old. And I'm going to do my very best next week to finish it up. But if, you, if you've ever struggled with yourself, amen. And if you've ever struggled with that person beside you, amen. Thank you, Virgil. Who are you sitting by? Yeah, I understand. And, and, and if you've ever struggled with God, and we can always say, we can say amen. We, we don't understand what's going on. Jacob was born with a special gift. He ran his entire life. In the immortal words of Forrest Gump, he had magic legs. For 20 years that Jacob was on the run. And even today, some people that are sitting in this church and some people that we know, not only are they running from their past, but some are running for the potential and possibilities that God has got planned for you. Genesis 32, verse 25, there's one verse and we're going to look at it. It says that when he saw that he could not prevail against him, that he touched the hall of his thigh and the hall of his Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Now, if you've been around church long enough, here's the deal. Jacob's been on the run, on the run from his brother 20 years He's been on the run. He's, he's sold him a bad used camel and a lot of other things. And, you know, there's a lot of things. His name is Jacob. It means supplanter, deceiver, cheat, and all these things. And we'll deal with this next week, I promise you. So he spends the night, the night before he meets Esau. He's been running for over 20 years. And so now then he spends the night in a place by himself. He sends everybody away and it's just him alone. And something magical happens if the word magical is right. All translations will tell you that he wrestled with a man here. A man. But by the time you get to Hosea chapter number 12, verse 4, it says he wrestled with an angel. So in Genesis, he'll always use the word. He's in the middle of his sleep and something wakes him up and he's looking at a man. He wrestles with a man. But by the time you get a little further, as God begins to peel back the layers, that not only in Hosea 12 and 3, he said he wrestled with God, but verse 4 tells you what's going on. He's wrestled with the angel. So here's the deal. Did he wrestle with a man? Go back to the verse. Did he wrestle with an angel? Hosea 12 and 4. Or did he wrestle with God? Hosea 12 and 3. And the answer is all of them. Some of you this morning are on the run. You were born with a special sinful gift. You know how to outmaneuver everyone. 
People come to this church on the run that are no doubt sons and daughters of God, but they're living by, by trickery. They're living by schemes. They're, they're not living up to their possibility and potential. So they run in this church and they think, I'll just take a nap here and hide out for a while. Until the music is over, the offering is over, and a guy stands up behind this podium and says, I know why you're here. You're on the run. And God says, the running days are over. You have a potential and a possibility and you've been living your life on the run. You've been running from everything and anybody and today is your last day to run and you have met your match. And we say with great kindness that some of you have got your feelings hurt in this church because of things that I've said. <laughs> Make no mistake about it. You'll always know where I stand. Always. Whether it be doctrinal differences or difference of opinions or what the Bible says about certain things, we'll go right to the scripture. But here's the deal. In your struggling, watch this. In your struggling while you're running, I'm going to wrestle you. And I'm going to say stuff like you, Why, how long are you going to be a knucklehead? Your daddy might have let you act that way. Your teachers might let you skip school. You might have treated your parents like dirt. You might talk behind your back to your bosses. But you know, in this church house, you're not going to do that to me. You're not going to do that here. I'm going to hold you accountable for your actions. And they go, oh man, he's a, he's police brutality. No, because here's the question. Are you really struggling with me? And you've stomped out here. Well, I don't like it. Okay. All right. But are you struggling with me? Or are you struggling with an angel? Or are you struggling with God? Wow. Did it ever consider that you may be wrong? Well, I was taught, I understand what you was taught. Can we come to agreement that maybe if it didn't line up to the word of God, maybe you were taught wrong? And I know a lot of sons and daughters of God that are on the run and they've been on the run all their life and they left tracks on people's hearts and minds and life and they left footprints everywhere they go. And I'm here to tell you, if you're here this morning to hide out and take a nap, you are really found, you are right in the middle of not a, of, of, a, of a hammock. You found yourself right in the midst of a WWF arena. And I'm going to wrestle you. And we're going to struggle. Because I'm not going to focus in on your imperfections and flaws and failures. I, I'm telling you, there's potential in your life. And I, like God, I'm here to remind you that God wants you to be the very best that he's called you to be. So not that you did, but if I've ever said anything that might be offensive to you and hurt your feelings, and I just have one word, good. Well, how dare him talk about what I do in my private life? 
How dare him talk about this and that and this and that and this and that. But is it really me? Could you be wrestling with an angel? Could you be wrestling with God? What does God say about this? What does God say about that? What does God say about your pride and your Holy Spirit? What does God say about that? You want to know? I'll tell you. What does God say about you coming in and out and destroying people's lives and playing mind games with people? What does God say about you being disobedient to your parents and, and unkind and unloving to your wife? What does God say about this? You think you come in there and take a nap? Wrong. You think you're going to come in there and hide out? That's not going to happen. I'll wrestle with you. You know why? Because you have to ask the question, is it me? It looks like a man. Is it an angel? Or is it God? Wow. And if you're struggling with stuff in your personal life and you get offended at me, but we can back it up with the word of God, would you please save us a lot of trouble and say, okay, well, we'll get to that next week. So here's where he's at. He's wrestling. He's struggling. He's wrestling. But it looks like a man, but he's got the strength of an angel. But, but remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10? He said, if they come against you, they come against me and they come against the one who sent me. If people come against you, as Christians, Jesus said they're really coming against me, him, and they're really coming against the one who sent me. So it's a trickle-down effect. Make no mistake about it. It's not you. You're, you're not that holy. You're not that special. Well, you are special, but it's another special. But. So what, is, what, is this, what does this man, angel, or God do in this wrestling match? I've heard people say that he took out a sword and he cut him on the leg. Nowhere in scripture that we have that. Nowhere. I've heard it said, I've heard it said on, on television, radio, that's, not, that's nowhere even in the Bible. Once again, that's somewhere where cleanliness and next to godliness. It's not there. It's a good practice, but it's not in the Bible. What has happened? They wrestle all night. Nobody's winning. Remember we talked about last week? You wrestle with God, it doesn't get worse, it didn't get better. The more you pray, nothing changes. Nothing happens. You pray for your children, they get, nothing happens. I mean, it's just kind of stuck in, 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 in a rut of nothing is, is getting the, the, the best of one another. So after a while, this angel man said, I've had enough of this. And he just, he just snaps and hits him on the leg and knocks his thigh out of joint. So the question is that Brenda asked, so what's the emphasis on the thigh joint? Because the thigh joint in the quadricep, the thigh muscle is the biggest muscle in the leg and the strongest. It's not the strongest in the body. You know what the strongest in? A cedar, the jaw. My cedar is the strongest muscle in the body. Boy, I'd like to, I'd like to talk about that for a minute. Can you imagine? The strongest muscle in your body is the jaw. Even though that you want to say it. And even though you know not to say it. That jaw muscle is the strongest physical muscle in your body. And that jaw muscle sometimes can override things of the spirit that should not be said.
and you're about to blow a gasket. Don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. And then you say it. So the thigh muscle is the strongest muscle in the leg. And I told you that Jacob's strength was what? Was in running. He, he was running from anything, everything, and everyone that required from him commitment, responsibility, and accountability. Some of you are on the run. Some of you are on the run by God, and you've been running for a long time. And you're running, you're running from anything and everything that will demand and require you commitment, responsibility, and accountability. There's people that will walk out of your life because they don't want to be committed to you. All right? And I'm sorry. There's people that's going to run from you that's been running. You thought you could change them, but you can't change nobody. The Bible says, can a leopard change his spots? No. Can a man of color change the color of his skin? No. And can you that's used to doing evil, can you change your own self? And Jeremiah says, no, you cannot. It's only God. You cannot change people. So don't, don't be disheartened when people walks out of your door that walked into your life. Because here's the deal. If they're running from God, they're going to keep running whether you're with them or not. So what we do is we take responsibility because that we couldn't change them. You can't change anybody. I can't change you. I quit trying. I quit trying the, the second week when I started church 35 years ago. I can't change you. Only God can change you. But once he changes you, then, then your form of opinion and, and your attitude will change towards God. And so this is where he's at. God hit him on the thigh because his thigh was the strongest muscle because that's where he made his living. That was his reputation by running. Running. And, and if, if I have to be accountable, I'm out of here. If I have to be dependable, don't count on me. Oh, I'll be around the church somewhere. I'll be somewhere if you need me. And you, you know how that goes. So what I'm telling you in the nicest way, if we are to be men and women of God, and I'll tell you in the next few months and years, you really need to wake up what's going on. There's going to be a great outpouring of not only God's presence, but there's going to be an outpouring of, of God's resistance. And if you want to be blessed, God will send a person your way. But if you want to be cursed and Harass God will send someone your way with ill motives. So he made his living by running. And God said this, through struggling and wrestling, I'm going to put an end to his whole way of life. So the after effect of the wrestling match, that when, when he struggled with him all night long, that this angel or man finally Hit him where it hurt. Got him. And he's laying on the ground and he can't move. I don't know about you. Have you ever had a hip broken? I, I, I know it's painful. I've never had that happen. But I know now that the strongest part in his body, this, in this quadricep on the top part, this hip is knocked out of joint. And now then he cannot move. He's hurting. Genesis 33, verse 13, 14. This is the after effect of this wrestling match. Now watch this. He's been on the run. Esau's going to come in the morning. He's terrified of Esau. And this angel, this man, this presence of God hits him where it hurts. And now he's laying on the ground. But Jacob replied that you can see, my Lord, talking about Esau, that some of the children are very young and the flocks. Esau shows up. 
So the children young and the flocks and the herds have young too. And if they're driven too hard, even for one day, all the animals could die. This is Jacob talking to Esau. So here's a guy. After the wrestling match, the angel of the Lord knocks his hip out of socket and he's laying there. He's been on the run for 20 years and he's the fastest runner we have in the Bible. He's the longest. He's the marathon runner. Esau shows up the next morning. He's still laying down. And he told Esau, he said, I hadn't seen you in 20 years, but he called him my Lord. We'll talk about that next week. But he said, here's what we do. Instead of being first and the fastest and the best, you go ahead. That's just your nature. I'll stay behind the young and the innocent and those that may be hurting. You know why he said that? Because it is he that's one that's hurting. His focus and attention now on the hurting and struggling because he's the one that's hurting and he's the one that's struggling. See, sometimes when God really brings you down to level, it's not a bad gig. When everything's good and rosy and right in your life, that you bypass people that are hurting this church house. There are people that are hurting today. There's people that are struggling today. And if we're not careful, we're so busy making sure that our hair is right and our, and our, and our, and our outfits match and, and our music is perfect. And we get so busy and sidetracked that we really never realize that people sitting right beside you are hurting. And, I'm not, and, and please don't do this right now because you'll go to hell if you do this. But here's the deal. Maybe you didn't turn to him saying, how's things going at home? And you'd be surprised that when you find yourself hurting, you'd be surprised when you find your own self wounded that you'll take the time to look for other people that may be hurting too. It's amazing. It's amazing. Matter of fact, I heard, and I'll call him by name, Greg Gilbert. Oh, he's a big old knucklehead. He's been a knucklehead his whole life. Big old strong kid. Just, I mean, he's a runner. He's a runner. And just a go-getter. And, and I'm, that's all I'm going to say about it. And, and I've known him for a long time and, and uh, took him to Emmaus. And he's just a big old stout kid. And, you know, he couldn't pass the sixth grade if he had to take the test again. But he, he could probably pick up a car and move it. And, and, and I called him that day about doing some cement work at the house, some sidewalk, and couldn't get him. Couldn't, and so he finally shows up. And, and I noticed, I said, where in the world have you been? And, and usually he just out and he'll grab you and pick you up and spin you around. And, and he kind of got out of the car a little slow. And I said, what happened to you? And, and he had a pair of loose fitting britches on and, and, he, and he pulled them down to about right here. And there was a scar. He had hernia surgery. Ooh. And I mean, I didn't want to see that again. I had that done years ago, and I don't even want to talk about it, about seven inches down in through here. And I said, and this is what I said. Now, if I hadn't had the surgery, now Gail will call me a big old baby. Can you believe that? When I had that surgery, Darren, the doctor said, no, run the vacuum, do not do dishes, don't do anything like that. No. If I personally hadn't had that experience happen, I wouldn't have felt sorry for him. I would have thought, that ain't no big deal. But because I experienced that years ago, I told him, I said, uh, we're, we're not doing anything here. You're not doing anything here. That thing is still blood red. I don't want to look at that. Don't show that to me again. 
You'd be surprised what happens is when you yourself are experiencing hurt and struggling, you'll be surprised what happens is that you'll ask God, why did you let that happen? He said, because if I didn't let that happen to you, you wouldn't have sympathy for someone who's hurting and struggling. Listen to what the Apostle Paul puts it this way. 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. What's this? Because the extravagance of those revelations that, and so that I wouldn't get the big head, I was given a, a handicap, a gift, he said, a handicap to keep me in constant touch with my limitations. God gave me a gift. <laughs> Satan did his very best to get me down, and what, in fact, he did was push me to my knees. No danger then of me walking around high and mighty. And at first, I didn't think it was a gift, and I begged God to remove it three times that I did that. And then God told me, my grace is enough. It's all you need. My strength comes into, into your weaknesses. So once I heard that and I understood that, that I was glad to let it happen, I quit focusing on my handicaps and began to appreciate the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength moving in on my weaknesses. Now that I take limitations, strides with good cheer. And these limitations, they cut me down to size, abuse, accidents, opposition, bad breaks. I just let Christ take over. And so the weaker I get, the stronger I become. Here's the deal. Christ is the strongest in your life when you're the weakest. So things are not good going good. Things are not happening good for you. I understand and I'm sorry, but the Apostle Paul said, this thing was a gift that was given to you. And he said, at first, I didn't think it was a gift. I thought it was a cursing of God. But he said, I, now I understand what's going on, that it brought me to my knees and no chance of me getting a big head about being Mr. Almighty and powerful now. I understand what it's like to have a broken heart. I understand what it's like to have wayward children grandchildren you're praying for. I understand what it's like to deal with health issues. We all are in the same boat. And because of that, that I see now that it was a gift of God. Nobody's high and mighty. Nobody is better than or beyond than. We're all in it together. And the more that I realize that sometimes Christ lets us go through things that we struggle and that he, he limits us he knocks our joint out of place and it puts us in a position where we're more sympathetic to people than we would be if we were strong on two legs. Understand? So let's fast forward real quickly. So when he, when, when Jacob, and the question is, he never went with Esau. We'll deal with that next week. It's funny. So what happened? What happened when the angel hit him? What happened? He said, I'm going to stay behind and these are young and these can't go very far. And, and all along, he was too proud to admit that my hip's out of place. So you go ahead and, I, and, and I'll make sure nobody stayed behind. Here's the deal. I'm going to make sure. Here's the deal. I'm not going to leave any of you behind. I will not leave a one of you behind. Now, it's one thing if you get in a four-wheeler and take off, I'm not going to chase you down. I will not chase you down. But I won't leave you behind. I'll stay around and I'll help you make good steps forward. If you're hurting, understand. If you're going through divorce, I'm sorry. I'll stay with you. 
I'll let the church go on and they can do what they want to. But I'll stay with you because if, you're, if, you, if you belong to God, then you're important. But here's the deal. The reason why sometimes that I stay behind is because I have family members just like you got family members. And I understand. And does it hurt? You better believe it. And we all have issues of things that come upon us that we didn't ask for and we didn't deserve. But I'll tell you one thing, because I understand that, that I'll be a little bit more sympathetic to you. So what happened when he, what happened when he left? Jacob settled down. He had no choice. So let's fast forward about 1,800 years. St. John chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. I'm going to go ahead and give it to you so you might as well just get comfortable, take a deep breath, and say you're about done. So, so Jesus cometh to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, which is near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied of his journey, he sat at the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So this is the, this is the story of the woman of the well. She's in Samaria. You know the story. And the Bible calls it the city near Sychar. Sychar is, is really, it's, it's not, if, if, if you're a good student in the Bible, that, that Ashkar is the modern day for Sychar. And Ashkar is not really the place where this happened. Uh, there's no well that's found in Ashkar. So by definition that we know in Genesis 33, that we know for a fact that Jacob established this and settled down in Shechem. We, we know this in Genesis 33. And the definition for Shechem is shoulder or a piece of property, a parcel of ground, a lot of property. But the definition of, of Shechem in the Old Testament means shoulder. It means, it means this, it means a pass between two mountains. That it looks like shoulders and while he's at the well with this woman now pay attention while he's at the well with this woman she's going through a conversation because this woman is on the run herself she's been running she's went through a slew of husbands and don't tell her how many boyfriends and we're not even going to talk about this but she's on the run and lo and behold, she's running right in, into a wrestler. And he's fixing to put her in a headlock. And remember what she said? She said about worship, she said, we're a little confused. You worship on that mountain and we worship on this mountain. Where she is, there's Mount Ebal and Mount Garrison plain in view. So this Shechem is really, or Sychar is really, it's the evolution of the word for Shechem. It's this place in Samaria. Don't get confused by the name. It's the same piece of property. It's Jacob's well. And Jacob's well could be identified by Shechem or a piece of property. It meant it was a pass between what looked like two mountains or two shoulders. And the woman at the well is getting a drink. And she looks and she said, you see these two mountains, Gerizim and, and Ebal? We, we don't know which one to worship. And Jesus said, lady, it don't matter which mountain you get on. You're going to miss it. So the idea is here. 
there's, there's, there's controversy on where she's at, but we know one thing for a fact, that in Shechem, there was a well that either Jacob dug, uncovered by his father, or he bought it with a well there. But make no mistake about it, he's at the place where the woman is about to show up with a bucket of water for Jesus in John chapter 4. Does that confuse you? No. Because when you read it, some Bibles will tell you that it's Ashkar instead of Sakar. But it is Shechem. Shechem is an is a evolutionary word for where the woman is at the woman at the well. So it's Jacob's well. So can we agree on that? It's Jacob's well. And either Jacob dug it, could have, owned it, could have, or uncovered it because his, his, great, his grandfather, Abraham, dug all kinds of wells and people come along behind him and covered them in. So whatever it was, he had a piece of property that there was a well. And now then, 1,800 years in the future, this woman is at the well. Why is there a well? Because he quit running. Why 1,800 years later does this woman meet Jesus with an empty bucket and he lays out for her who he is? He said, I am the Messiah because Jacob quit running. He was forced to settle down and start a family. What's this? And be responsible, reliable, and accountable. This morning, the key that Jacob left behind in John chapter 4, a reference and a resource that God could use both physically and spiritually for not only the woman at the well, but for the city of Samaria and for the whole world today. She said, I'm dying of thirst. And he said, whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give shall never thirst again. And she said, please give me this water. What water is she referring to? Jacob's well. You see, what we say and do today on the surface may seem small and insignificant but it just may be life-sustaining to someone that's in our near future. What we say and do today may be small and insignificant. The word shekel means just a piece of property. It's just a well. It's no big deal. Zechariah chapter number four says, never undervalue, never underestimate small beginnings. Oh, I just teach a Sunday school class. It's no big deal. You have no idea what you just said in the wrong. 1800 years before this woman met Jesus face to face and in 11 words, she changed the city of Samaria and to this day, no telling how many millions of people are being saved and born again because we understand he is the well.
He is the water of life that we drink freely from. Because it all happened at Jacob's well. And there's only one reference in the entire New Testament dealing with Jacob's well. And it's right here dealing with salvation. And little did anybody know that when Jacob bought this piece of property and he dug a well, he opened a well, he owned a well. Little did he realize the significance and the resource and the reference points that was made to bring someone to eternal life. And that someone led a city of Samaria. And for 2,000 years, we've been bringing people to the well, which is Christ. How dare you underestimate the gift that God has given you? How dare you? How dare you get up here and say, well, I just sung a song. How dare you? How dare you say, oh, it's no big deal. I just meet people at the door. Don't ever undervalue or underestimate what you do. Because little, you may not realize this at the moment, but everything we say and do that will honor God and glorify God, that who knows that if, that if he delays his coming, Maybe a thousand years from now, somebody will say, but my father's grandfather said there was a church in Ardmore that the people were kind and, and loving and giving and they honor God. Who knows what God can use in your life? So what's better than wrestling with God? It's walking with God. You see, when you wrestle with God, there's a lot of motion and there's a lot of grunting, but there's no forward progress. I say, hey, how was your week? Woo, boy, me and God's been wrestling. Really? Well, there's no forward progress. What's better than wrestling with God? Walking with God. This is quick. Watch this. This is Amos 3 and 3. Watch this. Can two walk together except they be agreed? New Living Translations put this. Can two people walk together without green on the direction? The last one, the Message Bible. Do two people walk hand in hand if they're not going in the same place? So 30-something years ago, I was going my own direction. I was doing my own thing until I found myself on the back seat of a church service that I did not want to be in. I was fighting with my wife the night before. I was fighting on the way to church. I had never been to church since I left school. She was going for some reason. And so I wanted to argue. So I said, well, we're going to argue while I drive you to church. Now you're laughing at this, but this is it. I, I love to argue. We argued that night. I fought that night. I, she didn't deserve it. Bad. She got up the next morning. I said, where do you think you're going? She said, I'm going to church. I said, no, you're not. We don't go to church. She said, well, I'm going somewhere. And I said, well, I'm going too. And I had a pair of blue jeans on and a Mickey Mouse t-shirt on. And I said, we're going to go. And I was fighting and screaming with her on the way to church. She drove over this church. And when I got out yelling, screaming at her in the church parking lot. Rat. I sat on the back row. She was ignoring me. I don't blame her. 
And boy, I'll tell you, we had the most seats. It was theater seats. And man, I was so mad. I just, I, I mean, it took everything I could from kicking in that back of that seat that got in front of me. I was mad. I was mad because she wouldn't pay any attention to me. And boy, little did I know, never heard a song they sung, never heard a word of the preacher, whatever he said. I don't have any idea what he said. Who knows? I didn't care. And I was thinking all along, when he finally shuts up, me and you're going to have it out. And we don't have been married about a month. We're still on our honeymoon. And all I remember is that guy said, I need every head bowed and every eye closed. And something happened. You know what he did? He broke my hip. That Sunday morning, 30 something years ago, he dislocated my hip where I could no longer run. You know why? Because Preston, evidently, I was running from my potential and possibilities that he had planned for me. And I quit running, and I quit running over people, and I quit running away from people. And I thought to myself, God, I think I'll settle down in Ardmore and start a small church, and we'll see what happens. And we dug a well. And that well is Christ. And for the last 30-something years, people that have been hurting and on the run, they've been able to come in this sanctuary and draw from the water of life freely without a price. There's a great big difference between doing something with God and something for God. And so here this morning that I will tell you, I'm going to end it here, but... I would like to tell you this morning that hopefully your running days are over. I would like to tell you this morning that you just didn't stumble into this place, that you've been on the run. You've been running away from everything and everybody that required dedication, responsibility, commitment to. But I will tell you this morning that when you come to this service, that it's not really me you're wrestling with. You're wrestling with God because you know for a fact that God's been dealing with you. And you hate it because I'm reminding you of it. Father, this morning that we're all your sons and daughters, we're all Jacobs. We have the promises of God in our pocket and boy, we're on the run. We run from relationships, responsibility, accountabilities. We, we run from them. But you had a plan for this man's life. And it went, it went way beyond a piece of ground that he bought. Because who would have known it 1,800 years later, that same well would be the reference and the resource that you would explain that your son Jesus was the water of life freely. And it's still changing lives today. 
I stand before every one of you this morning and thank you for your patience with me, but I stand before you this morning face to face as wrestlers. The most intimate sports, contact sports that there is, is wrestlers wrestle eye to eye. And I'm looking at you this morning and I'm telling you that you're not wrestling with me. God's been trying to wrestle with you for a long time and today's the day where the wrestling stops, the running ends, that we're going to be men and women of God that he has planned for us to be. We're going to be light in a dark world. We're going to be straight in crooked places. We're going to be hope where there seems to be no hope. That's who we're going to be. And we're not going to despise or undervalue or underestimate anything that God is doing in our life because if he could take a simple well that would lead millions to Christ, so what you're doing today that God can use as a tool to draw people to him. So Father, this morning I pray that all of us today, that we just, we'll surrender. The end goal of any wrestling match, ladies and gentlemen, is for someone to submit. Someone surrenders, someone submits, someone taps the mat and says, enough, are you there yet? Will you submit completely? So if you're struggling this morning and you find yourself hurting and wounded, that's not a bad deal. That God has you exactly where he wants you. And for that, we give thanks. Very quietly, please, if you'll stand with me today, take somebody by the hand very quietly. You've been running your whole life. You've been running because what your mother and dad did to you as a child. You've been running because someone left you, someone divorced you. You've been running because someone made fun of you. You've been running because everything in your life has gone wrong. But I'm telling you this morning that God has a way to bring you to the place where running is over and through. I know you love God. And I know he loves you. But isn't it time we settle down? So you say this morning, Pastor, what can I do? I don't know. But let's settle down and let's do something constructive, can we? Let's meet people in the parking lot. Let's carry an umbrella for them if it's raining outside. Let's make someone that's comfortable. Let's make sure that we, we greet one another. There's something we can do. Let's settle down because you cannot dig a well on the run. It's time for you to settle down and be dependable and reliable and accountable. Because who knows what's going to happen in the days and the weeks to come. And God can use this small church as a well 
as a reference point to bring people to eternal life. Who knows? So, Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for we're no longer fugitives, but we're the friends of God. And I pray that we settle down, be responsible, be committed, be dependable. We dig a well, and that well will possess the life of Christ for those that are, are weary in their way. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. And all Jacob said, Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a praise offering if you would this morning, huh? Now, some of you are going to leave here like this, and I understand. Come in, your servers, make your way. Today's the day. The running stops. Today's the day you're going to settle down. Today's the day you're going to put stakes in the ground. Today's the day we're going to dig a well. You've been running, running way too long. We need you. We need you to be accountable, dependable, reliable. We need what you have. We celebrate Holy Communion here every week, and you know this. It's, we don't ask you to fill out a report card of your flaws and failures and imperfections and all your attaboys. This is remembering Christ. <coughs> Some of you this morning, you're going to be limping up here. I understand. And for the rest of your days, you'll carry a limp and you'll leave a scar. I understand that. But one thing about it, you've, you come encounter face to face with the son of the living God. And this morning, only he can change you. Jesus took the, the bread that night and he said, this bread has been a part of this, the sacraments for over 1,500 years, you've taken the unleavened bread and you broke it. He took the bread and he broke it. it. For your broken lives, your broken hearts, your broken families, your broken mind, your broken emotions. Remember, he, he left us in peace, not in pieces. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup was part of the... The first Passover, it was the lamb's blood that was taken and placed in the shape of a cross. And that night, the death angel, the Abaddon, would pass over that household that saw the blood upon the doorpost. And he said, now then, I am the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And my father will now take my blood in the shape of a cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Remember me. That's all we're doing this morning as we celebrate Holy Communion. We're just remembering what he's done for us. Father, we ask you to bless this cup, bless this bread. And as we make our way to you, Father, let the running stop. 
and let us begin to settle down and create a place and an environment where the water of life can be flow freely. In Jesus' name, amen.